This is Mark. And this is Kenny. <laughs> and this is All I Want to Do is Talk About Madonna. Special episode. Sinead O'Connor. Mark and I are working on season five, which is coming very, very soon. You're um, hip, but, hip deep into confessions on a dance floor, my friends. And very excited to start sharing those with you. But when we heard of um, Sinead's passing this past week, we felt like we both were really um, affected by it and felt like we wanted to spend a little time just celebrating and talking about Sinead O'Connor's work and her impact on us and our generation and the world and um, really honor her, her spirit. Sinead O'Connor was um, really such a uh, important voice um, of our childhoods. And um, I am so sad and devastated by her passing. Um, she was always so open about her mental health problems and challenges. And I almost immediately, it's sad to admit this, but I, I was not surprised by her death. And yet I was still shocked by it. And I almost immediately thought of all the people who don't have, who suffer similarly in the world and don't have the resources that she had. And yet she still suffered so greatly. And I, I just, I'm thinking about those people who um, struggle with these challenges and these illnesses and um, continue to to wake up and and move forward. Um, we, I, I wrote an essay uh, this week about Gen X uh, singers, our voices, um, and how we don't we have never really taken care of them very well. Uh, we only start to appreciate and celebrate them after they're gone. And I'm thinking less about you know the obvious Whitney Houston and Michael Jackson and those and Prince, but I'm thinking of um, you know. Kurt Cobain and Shannon Hoon and Notorious B.I.G. and um, Chris Cornell and Sinead O'Connor, I feel like it is in that same kind of um, basket, sadly. Um, she had a couple of really amazing early successes and albums that for so many of us, um, they remain in our record collections. Right, Kenny? I mean, they, they, they never go away. Um and I, I I bought them both in my Columbia Music membership, and I was so excited to have the physical albums um, back in the early '90s. And yet, then once she rejected a lot of the mainstream music industry success that she had, and being a part of that machine, um, she went on to make, you know, I think over 10 more amazing albums, it almost liberated her to make incredible music across many genres, including reggae and um, traditional Scottish hymnals and all kinds of stuff, R&B, you know, electronica. It liberated her in this way. And then traditional pop as well um, that I think is really revolutionary and kind of, incredible to to see and in fact when she died um she has a new album that had been postponed and i'm hoping that that and it's called no veterans die alone and i'm hoping that that will come out 
um, posthumous posthumously because it was ready to go and she had postponed it because of illness. And so, um, but Kenny, what did you, what was your first um, experiences with Sinead O'Connor and what did those first two albums kind of do to you sonically? Well, the line in the Cobra came out while I was still in high school. I think it was like 87, right? Yeah. Um, and so I, I, um, that album was very profound for me. I'd never heard a voice like that before. I think there was just this insistence and power to her voice that I'd never heard before and sort of a rage that I'd never heard before that was really striking to me, but also like a real clarity. And something that it kind of scared me, like um, in a way that was like foreign to me, like there was this, all that fury. Yeah. Um, But also like, you know, I remember listening to that album specifically with my friends from high school who were like my alterna friends and we mm-hmm. would um you know sing troy with the album you know like because the drama of the song yeah so powerful i remember it in dublin in a rainstorm sitting in the long grass in summer keeping warm I remember every restless night we were so young then we thought that everything we could possibly do was right and we moved stolen from our very eyes and I wonder and tell me when did the light die you will rise you'll return that whole album was just so beautiful to me like just call me joe um lay your hands on me jerusalem mandinka i mean everything about it like it just took me on this journey i'd never been on before and i was really invested in like who is this woman and what is she saying like i don't know that i understood her at that time do you know what i mean no well totally and i think you know my uh, she wrote uh, the the only other person I can think of is uh, my beloved uh, Broadway s- singer Betty Buckley. In the way that she can, both of those singers share an ability to, in in the same note, embody tremendous power and clarion belt with a a, a almost crushing vulnerability. It's both mm, e- extremely yeah. powerful and underneath is just all this fragility and i can't think of somebody who embodies so many voices in one voice the way Sinead o'connor yes. does and i from from uh 
the line in the Cobra, I love that we never saw her look at us. She doesn't look at us on the cover. Um, and even in the rejected cover, because there was a there was a skirmish on which album cover they were going to use. She's not looking at us in that photo either. There's a, a kind of willing, um, she's letting the songs and her voice um connect with us and not her herself and her and in 1987 it was all about visual packaging and um obviously shaving her head was part of her um rebellion against that um and that song just like you said it would be mm. is is a song that just it crushes you and it's so commanding something um i think why she rose um her voice became a necessary voice is there's something very ancient about yes. what she's pulling like they're uh, listening back to i listened to this when i heard that she passed the other day i this was the first thing i did was go to lion in the cobra i played the whole album straight through and i was like this voice is is unreal it's it's um it's from the spirits it's not it's beyond human yeah um, and the control but also the freedom the and lyrically it's such a dense album just like you said it would be i mean um when we get to the second half of the album and drink before the war and just oh no i mean i i, I it's just so gorgeous and beyond just beyond her years yeah it seems like to me like where is all this coming from um like yeah it felt ancestral and I, and i think it's really thrilling that um her second album um because you know you all you hear this a lot solo first albums take you know 30 years your whole lifetime to to get ready to make and then the second album is always like what do you got now kid and i do not want what i haven't got is a, a masterpiece and it yeah. and it you know, there are these things about that album that are so experimental and exploratory and 
the pop songs on it are are really unorthodox and yet really good pop songs. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I remember when this album came out, I was um, living in New York. I was at NYU and I bought this at Tower Records on tape. And I remember getting it in the way that this album starts with the prayer for, you know, um, which is... Serenity prayer. Yeah, the serenity. And how sweeping this beginning of this album is with Feel So Different, you know, really took me into this world um, in a way that I was just like captivated. And then going into I Am Stretched on Your Grave, which, um, you know, uses that hip hop beat to tell this other story on top of it. Like, ugh, this album just guts me. I and when f- there's and when there's violins come kicking oh. in at the you're just like what is this album this is incredible it is incredible I mean this 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 builds on a lot of the drama of Troy which I keep going back to we just had um the great gift of going to see uh Vivian Bond perform at the um, Joe's Pub uh, about a month or so ago and uh Vivian Bond did a cover of Troy um and we were both like beyond you know we didn't even know how to comprehend that someone was doing Troy live in front of us. And at that level and match yes. and match the power and the passion in, in their own way. I mean, we were smushed into a little um, banquet together. Like you are just pub. I could have fallen on the floor had I been yeah. able to, I was like, yeah. I was like pushing against the people next to me. I was like, I couldn't believe it. And it's no. like, and and JVB is such an ancestor or a, such a descendant of Sinead O'Connor. Like, like I find that that, and there's a, a catalog of women who are younger, who were, you know, yeah. in, inspired and impacted by Sinead O'Connor. Well, I don't think there could be an Alanis Morissette without Sinead O'Connor. No, no, uh, definitely know. not. Definitely um, not. Probably not a Tori Amos the, the same mm-hmm. way. I think the success of... I do not want what I haven't got in all of its contradictions because aside from that one cover that made the album such a huge success, every song is written almost solely by Sinead O'Connor. And I think that just didn't happen on records at that time um, where all of the songs were written by the singer. Um, And a song like, you know, I mean, Black Boys on Mopeds, I just (sighs) thought was a brilliant story song about police brutality oh, yeah i i'm so glad you're bringing it's such a gorgeous song about about police brutality about um the you know about the government you know saying one thing margaret thatcher she's talking about her the british government saying oh the atrocities in another place and, and she's saying well you're doing the same things here right how dis disenchanted she is with where she's living and the lies she sees this duplicity um and this is the line though that guts me in this yes. song. England's not the mythical land of Madame George and Roses. It's the home of police who kill black boys on no kids. I love my boy. That's why I'm leaving. I don't want him to fact that she you know we hear in this song looking back on it and we listened to this album again the other night Sheldon and I and I was like listening to that lyric and thinking 
that's when her her young boy is a baby and she's like I'm I'm going to take him and protect him and try to save him and then we know what happens to him breaks my heart so deeply like yeah. I can barely breathe I mean and I think what's so tragic about where we are and and not to, you know, I know that everybody listens to podcasts to feel better about the world and to escape, but like we haven't progressed very far since the song and that feeling and that, you know, I, I, I'm looking right now at the last page of the of the booklet in the liner notes of the photo of Colin Roach and his grieving parents, uh, a black boy who was killed um, uh was shot down um being chased by the police because they thought he had stolen the 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 bike he was on and and the words are god's place is the world but the world is not god's place and that feels that could have been a a, a moment that happened last summer and the fact that she was aligning herself at the height of her commercial power with the african american community the rap community um, and the injustices happening to them at this time. I mean, she was boycotting award ceremonies. She was doing all those things. She was putting the album, you know, she was writing the emblems for like public enemy on the side of her head in solidarity. They were wearing Sinead O'Connor t-shirts when they were on stage. I mean, the, those conversations, you just didn't see a white woman from Ireland standing up for these people in the way at the height that she was at. I mean, it's kind of remarkable. Yeah. Well, I think that it's also like the thing that made it so hard for her to do her work because she um, was so aware of the injustices of the world and the pain in the world. And you can feel the pain it caused her. Like she's like, I guess a simple way to say it is, oh, she was an empath, but like, yeah. she, you know, like she, she spoke truth. She felt truth. Like, you know, we don't need to talk about the nothing compares to you video or all of that, but I will say, you know, it's such a beautiful cover and the video is so beautiful precisely because it's just her face, but really because of the moment where we see the tear coming down from her eye. And we know that that is not performative. Yeah. That's her feeling the song and the truth of the song and that everything for her was that raw, you know, um, and that pure uh, and and I think uh, you know I and and I agree with you. That's beautifully said, um, and and observed because, you know, as she kind of goes along, she makes so many choices in the industry that are so. I mean, you know, "Am I Not Your Girl," which was her follow up to this record, is a, is an album of big band cover songs, which she does with an orchestra. And you know, this is a, a, I've always been like, what is with these Scottish women and like because and these Irish women that want to do these cover albums because right around after Annie Lennox did her big hit diva as a solo artist, her next album was a weird cover record called Medusa. And there's a song on that, that album though, which I, I, I remember listening to at the time and going, I don't get this. This doesn't sound poppy. What's going on with Sinead? And then I re I found it again later. And the song success has made a failure of our home, which is a song. It's a country song from like the fifties uh, written by Johnny Mullins. And it, it's able, and it's a song about what happens to the people in your life when you become successful and, and how it impacts all of your relationships. We 
she sings this song i have to say it blows me away because it's so subtle and it's so soft and it retains and you have to understand it's a country song that also is done with a big band arrangement so you have this band coming in and out of this song and yet it never quite loses its its kind of country yearning and twang and um, clarity that that the the original song has. I just think it's a masterful performance, and I just I I wonder sometimes had she been able to continue to do things like the that album, and then also the Nothing Compares to You video, where the rest of the machination could be taken away, and she could just connect with us directly like that. How? much more happy she would have been as an artist and how much more we would have gotten from her on a, on a wide mainstream way. Yeah. Or, or in whatever way she wanted to give it to us, I think the interruption or the disruption of that ridiculous um, fame and attention because of that song um, really, um, you know, really hurt her and, um, and was something that she ultimately could, not necessarily not recover from, but that it it changed her career. You know, just thinking about songs about fame, you know, I think on on the second album, The Emperor's New Clothes is like... Yeah. Sunday 
it's such a specific story. Like I and I I think you know going to like why would you do a cover album after this? Like yeah, I think when you're so like her life had become like this kind of battle against these other things. And maybe there wasn't a lot of like other stories to tell at that time for her because, or she didn't know how to get to the deep stuff because it felt so like it had been, uh, abused. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And I, I, and I think, you know, she comes back with universal mother and then, uh, her wonderful pop record, faith and courage in 2000. And she has songs again to, and things to share. Um, I love in emperor's new clothes, the next lines, maybe it sounds mean, but I really don't think so. And it reminded me, I was, I, I went to see Barbie as you did as well yesterday. And there was those lines America Ferreira's character had about how we twist our ourselves in knots to get men to like us. Mm. And Sinead O'Connor was never interested in that. Right. And I think that that made her very uncategorical and unboxable. Yeah. And so of course the 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 mainstream culture and the industry would reject her. Outright, And I think she knew that and that's why she did it. I mean, it was to liberate herself. Yeah, she freed herself. I mean, she was fully capable of making beautiful music um, and amazing pop songs. I mean, there's a song called Jealous that ironically she wrote with Dave Stewart of Eurythmics since we were talking about Annie Lennox that um, from... um, uh, Faith and Courage, uh, which was a considered a comeback record, and I use that with quotes. But... You're jealous. You just can't stand to see me get along without you, like I do. You told me to. Jealous is such a gorgeous, beautiful song that has such a a traditional structure. And so when she wanted to, she could color in the lines and make stuff. But because of all of this controversy, we just it it it's again, it's it's the way that we didn't take care of her as as a as a as a as a listenership, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I also EP. love this EP she put out in like 95 96 called gospel oak which is just six songs and the first song on that is called this is to mother you and that song just 
I, I listened to that song when it came out. Like I listened to that whole EP over and over again. I was in graduate school. I remember it coming out and like playing it almost every day. Um, I, and that that song in particular always like really um, tugged at me and I felt like I needed it. It's rediscovered with with her. I hope this is one of the things that happens. It's so simple. It's so unadorned. She's nowhere to be seen in the artwork. It's just songs she wanted to record. Some are traditional, some are new. And it was the exact length of my commute from from school into the city. And so I could listen to it like twice a day. Mm. And just, it was like a lullaby. And, and both timeless and... Um, rural and urban mm. it had it has a kind of like grit and hustle to it as well yeah i love this is to mother you i think that's a gorgeous song the other one that i really love um from a little bit later i think is this song she does with moby called harbor <laughs> yes I she love did that song. well. She has a whole collection of collaborations. She worked with all kinds of different people. The the she worked with. She worked with all massive attacks. She did. Um, I love this song she did with the Edge called Heroin. That was before she was like he discovered her and put her on this song. It's from a. Um, it's the theme to a movie called Captive. when you heard the news how did you feel and what were you what were you thinking about in terms of Sinead O'Connor do you, what do you think her her legacy will now be I don't know what her legacy will be but I know yeah. I just know how I felt I did feel when I heard like I had been punched in the gut um I felt a deep pain like um and maybe to your point of like that we didn't take care of her enough that like um this voice, this artistry was so pure 
And in the world we live in, it's like almost painful to think of how it wasn't protected more. Yeah. And that uh, it it brought for me up a pain and fear of that vulnerability in a way that it just really, um, it really gutted me. I really had to stop. Yeah. yeah. I saw a photo. There's a, there's a photo of her as a child in a blazer with a flower that's been making the Instagram and social media rounds. And I saw it and I just burst into tears and I was like, the world is such a cruel place to what they did to that child and what the world did, not us, but, um, and the fact that we got so much of her artistry and, and continues to, I mean, I think uh, what's sad about death like these is almost immediately it happened with, you know, the Dolores, during from uh, the cranberries, it happens with every you know prince. Uh, it everybody we re we reinvestigate their their canon of music, and we will. I think I think a lot of discoveries are going to be made about the amazing later work of Sinead O'Connor um, over the years. Um, I wrote this um, uh, thing um, over the. I'm going to read a little bit from this essay I wrote. Um, Kurt Cobain, Shannon Hoon, Tupac Shakur, Lane Staley, Chris Cornell, Michael Hutchins, the notorious B.I.G., Sinead O'Connor. Many have now been gone for so long, but we forget because their music still plays. Their voices are still heard. We forget how they left us and why. But every Gen Xer who now drives a Subaru, who moved to the suburbs to build families with fellow Gen Xers, raising a new generation that will hopefully be better and bolder and more trusting than we were, will that ultimately be our legacy, bringing a loving generation of humans into the world? These songs and our voices find their ways into onto their stereos mixed in with the crap that's littering our ears these days from these kids. We did manage to forge ahead our generation with our voices leading the way. Ultimately, it was their greatest gift to us, the songs they wrote and sang, which still connect us all. Even if we did little to care for them and celebrate them, except paying them, of course, until they were gone. When one of their songs appears in your life, wherever that may be, make sure to turn it up fucking loud. The voices have earned their spots on our playlists. Better yet, take a deep dive back into an entire album by one of our voices. Their words and music can still change lives and remind us of our own shared humanity and perhaps how we might have failed them ourselves. Let's not fail those who remain. Beautiful, Mark. We love you, Sinead O'Connor. And we're sending all of our love and light out to all of the fans of hers who are struggling and all of the people that were impacted by her voice, her talent, her strength, her beauty. Till next time. Bye.